Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Hey, I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to church today. Good morning. How are we doing? Hey, so nice to see the 11 o'clockers here. You guys have slept in, you've had your coffee, and now we can mix coffee with the Bible, and it's just, we're unstoppable in that situation. So uh, it says a lot, actually, about your heart to prioritize being here. It's a beautiful weekend. There's all kinds of things we could be doing. Sunny, sunny California, right? So way to go, guys. Um, As Debbie said, today's the last message in the series that we've been in where we're looking at taking steps forward in our faith journey. And the thesis for the series has been that no matter where you are in your spiritual growth process, that God has something for you to draw you deeper into him. And he's inviting us all to take a next step. And that means, what that means is everybody's got a next step. Every single person has a step forward. And that's going to look differently for each, each person because we're all in different places, aren't we? Oh, that's where you say, yes, that's true, yes. Because it's me, remember? I like this. Uh, Back and forth. So, yes. Uh, For example, I met a guy at the Brentwood campus a couple of weeks ago, right after service. We were just chatting in the atrium there at the building, and he said, Billy, I haven't been to church in 49 years. This is the first time back. And I was like, oh, my goodness, dude, I'm only 45. So that means... Four years before I was born was the last time you went to church, which, you know, I'm trained in how to, you know, build rapport with people. And that showed in that moment. Um, so that's, that's incredible, though. And to hear his story and see God working and moving there. And then there is also the reality that people here at Cornerstone, some of you haven't missed church in 49 years. So there's this like spectrum of potential next steps. And here's the truth, we all got them, but God is smart enough, he's big enough, and he's wise enough to keep track of where we all are, and he's all moving us forward. So that's a good thing that we've been looking at. And I actually like the imagery of taking next steps with God, because what happens when you take enough steps with somebody? Yeah, you you end up calling that a walk, right? You're walking together pretty soon, and Walking with God is this beautiful vision, this metaphor that the Bible presents to us about encapsulating the entire Christian life. You're walking with Jesus. A lot of times when you walk with somebody, what do you do? You talk with them, don't you? And there's this idea of relationship and closeness and proximity. And when you're walking with God, which is an incredible experience, you know, you're on this trajectory, this path, and then sometimes we drift 
don't we? We drift in, in seasons. And then what the Lord does, because he's right there with us, is he's kind of nudging us back on where he, right where he wants us to be. And so we see this, this life that the Lord has for us, and it's taking steps, it's walking with him, and it's a great privilege to do that. And what we've been studying are common next steps that we all take. So a couple of weeks ago, we studied the next step of baptism, which is like a one-time event. And sometimes those next steps are like a one-timer. And then other times, it's not just a one-timer, it's more of a lifestyle. The steps become a way of life. It's a mode of living. And we looked at last week the, the next step of serving, which is not just a one-timer, it's a mode of life. It's a, it's a disposition of your heart. So that's kind of that category. And today's topic of community is a lifestyle as well. Now to get us there in our study today, let's have you turn to Romans chapter 12, which is in the New Testament. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. And we're gonna look at, this is one of the greatest chapters of the entire Bible. If you've bumped around your Bible, you kind of maybe be familiar with Romans 12. It's incredible. The Bible itself is all amazing, but then there's like peaks. It's like a mountain range. And then you get to like the Matterhorn, this, you know, Swiss mountain, right? And it's beautiful. And, and it's, uh, it's got this kind of crescendo sense to it. And we have that here. And the thing about this chapter is it just so happens that the main idea in interwoven is it's all about building community about how Christians relate to one another and how we have healthy relationships. So community then isn't just a topic in scripture, as you know, it's a topic that's very sort of, it's a buzzword. It's a buzzword and you, you, know, you just fill in the blank. It's the blank community, you know, it's the Swiss community. It's the, I don't know, it's the baseball community. It's the, whatever the community is, there's a group. It's like this idea that people are, are just drawn to deeper relationships. Surveys tell us this. We, people survey the American people and what you want in your life. Top five, top six things, always community is in them. You know, peace, happiness, security, money, whatever, and then community. And that's because we desire, we're hardwired to crave meaningful relationships that matter. And unfortunately, a lot of our relationships are shallow and they're disposable, and so people are craving that. And that's exactly what Paul's describing. He's describing the type of community that people want, that people desire. This Jesus-centered, healthy, life-giving, healing community. And so I wanna just read this together with you, and then we're gonna pull a few things out that we can read, and, uh, and we can study, we can, we can practice. We can pull, just pull this out and live this out. So does that sound like a good plan today? Oh, good, you're there. All right, let's read now verse nine, and then we're gonna go through 21 if you're following along. All right, here's what it says. Verse nine, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, friends, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, 
but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, and then Paul here is quoting an Old Testament passage now. The Old Testament, by the way, is all interwoven into the New Testament. This is one of those places. Here's what he says. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, what happens? Give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. (laughs) Okay. Verse 21. Then do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so these are not just pithy little statements. This is sort of the grand vision for building community. And it's a lot of stuff. It's one of those passages you can kind of just drop in on any sentence and just kind of sit with that, that little thought block, that little piece. In fact, there's 25 different attitudes or actions that Paul lists here that go into healthy Christ-centered community building. And we're not gonna be able to look at them all today, but I wanna look at a couple of them and why not just start at the beginning? So we're gonna look at the very first sentence and unpack this. What does it say? If you wanna look back at verse nine, what do we have there? Yes, love must be sincere. So this is the starting place for building Christian community, guys. I think this is actually the key to the rest of the text. You have to start here. Always start with sincerity, with genuineness, with authenticity. And this is a good word in English, but it gets even better, I think, when we nerd out a touch and we look at what this is in the original Greek that was written. Paul wrote in, in Koine Greek, ancient Greek. So, so let's look at this Greek word because it's going to help us unpack this even further. Let me show it to you. So there is English, sincere, and then here it is here. Now, when you say this word, you've got to say it with like a little bit of a Greek you know, mojo on there, okay? So it's like, like a little big fat Greek wedding type thing. So the word is pronounced anopokritos. 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 Doesn't that sound like you're ordering something? Like I'll have a falafel, I'll have an anopokritos. Uh, put some ziki sauce on that. Tzatziki, sorry, uh, whatever. All right. This is a compound word. Let's break it down further. Anu means without. Here we go. Anu means without, and then pokritos means, check this out, it means play actor. So without play actor. So this is a theater term that Paul is kind of pulling out of that context and using it here in, in community building. So don't just play a part like an actor. An actor is one way on stage, pretending to be a character, and then all eyes are on that person, he or she, but then when they walk off the stage, they revert back to being their true self, hopefully. So don't be that way. All right, true confession time. I was big time into theater growing up. Yes, I was a drama nerd, all right? Big surprise, right? Nerds do nerd things. And this is yet another strand, another element that you know about my background. At least I'm being consistent, right? So I was so nerdy, I actually became the president of the thespian club in my high school. I was the president of the drama geeks and the nerds. It was me and them. And we had a great time. So one time I played, thank you, some lady just clapped for me. And I just have to feel, that just blessed me, lady. Uh, thank you. Um, 
So one time I played a character who in the play was an actor and the actor was in a play. So therefore, I played a character playing a character in a play within a play and the production of that was called Inception. No, it was not. It was not called that because that wasn't invented until much later. It was actually Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. That's the play I was in. Another time I played an old man who married a young woman and it caused this big scandal in town and the play was called A School for Scandal. And I was the old guy, and this was a fun, a fun play. Another time I played a guy with a drinking problem. It was a serious play. In one role, in another play, the scene called for me to kiss the actress on stage. And this was my first kiss with a girl who was not my mother, all right? <laughs> but my friends told me that it doesn't count. It doesn't count, Billy. That's not a real first kiss. It's fake because our drama teacher is making her kiss you, all right? Uh, and her name was Laurel, and I'm pretty sure she was grossed out by it. So the point is, is that it wasn't real. Another time I played a character, uh, he was a big brother, and he was trying to kind of wrangle his little brother and also figure out what to do with his life, and he was dealing with the pressures of family and money. Here, here it is. Uh, I was Stanley, and this is Eugene in Neil Simon's Brighton Beach Memoirs. Anybody seen that play or that movie? So this is my friend Keith and I. Yes. Oh, thank you. Another clap. I'll take that. Is my mother here? Speaking of my mom. And as you can see from this photo in 1991 from the McMinnville News Register newspaper, I am about the same weight as I was back then. Not really at all, in fact. No amens there because we speak the truth here. So yes, things have swelled since then. But here I am, it was real. I'm not just, you know, faking it. But I really did enjoy this. I like to make people laugh. I like to make people enjoy themselves. And playing somebody else doing that was even better. The problem is at one point I became so enthralled with this that it was actually tough to find out who I really was in my real self. I got so good at theater. The Romans actually loved their theater too in Paul's day. Uh, in fact, they built massive massive theater complexes. We have the ruins of many of them. You go around the ancient Roman Empire today and you can see theaters that were built 2,000, 2,500 years ago. And the reason why these were so big is because theater was so popular. I mean, look at the theater at Ephesus. This is massive. This is massive. And people packed and flocked to the Roman productions because they were funny. They were, there were comedies and there were tragedies. People laughed, people cried. There was sex and nudity in them. And there was lewdness and crudeness in them. Um, there was satire. This was one of the only formats that you could openly criticize the Caesar and the Senate. So people showed up, they bought tickets because they liked to make fun of their government and go home laughing. Sometimes the actors and actresses became rich and powerful and people admired them. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> what is the saying? The more things change, the more things... Actually, one of the most famous actresses at the time of Paul in the first century, we know her name. Her name was Claudia, Claudia Acte. Here she is. This is a, a marble bust of her. 
Claudia was really famous as an actress, and she eventually caught the eye of Emperor Nero, and he took her to become his mistress. This was a very public affair. So Nero's wife knew about her. Everybody knew about it. It was just a thing. Now, Nero, of course, was the Caesar who was in power when Paul penned the letter of Romans. Nero would eventually have Paul beheaded for his faith. Nero would also have the apostle Peter killed. In this case, crucified upside down on a cross. He was a terrible persecutor of Christians. He was in power way too early. He was crazy and he ended up killing himself at the age of 30. But before he did that, Claudia won Nero's heart, at least for a time. And in a miraculous twist of fate, many church historians believe that Claudia eventually became a Christian. We have some evidence in the historical records that tell us that her household servants led her to Christ. Now, of course, household servants and people of that low position were the ones who usually came to church in the first century. And so we can just easily see perhaps Paul, his ministry leading people to Christ who would then kind of relate and, and build community with these other servants around the empire, around the city, and then they would lead others to Christ. And then perhaps it was the chain of influence from Paul to his people, to these servants, to Claudia. Maybe Paul even knew her. Personally, we don't know. He probably knew of her because she was famous and because she was in this sort of family of power. This is a fascinating thing. And yet here in our passage, Paul says, as much as you enjoy the talents of people like Claudia and others, as they play roles on stage, this then is not how we build Christian community. We're not to take our cues and clues from this area of life. Because if Christian community is ever going to work at all, we cannot be actors. We can't be posers or pretenders. If we pretend to walk with Jesus and give the impression that we're super spiritual and that we love God passionately, but that's actually not the case, there's no power in that. Because why? It's disingenuous. And yet... Friends, isn't it easy to play the part when you get around church environments, isn't it? It's really easy to, when you walk in to Cornerstone, you walk into one of our campuses, right, to pretend that perhaps your marriage is great, everything's fine when it's actually going down the drain. Or maybe the pretending part of it is that your kids, oh yeah, how's the family? Oh, they're great, everybody's fantastic. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then your kids are just having so much struggles privately. You don't even know how to parent them. You're like lost in this thing. Or maybe the pretending isn't, isn't that, or it's, maybe it's struggling with a secret sin that's eating your soul alive. There's an addiction. There's something that's got its claws in you and you're just like, I can't beat this thing on my own and it's killing me spiritually. It's like, oh no, it's all good. Or maybe we're pretending that we're not wrestling with deep doubt and, and questions about who God is or, or what he's really like or we have guilt that, that just plagues us and yet it's all under the surface. It's not on the, or maybe we're angry with God. Maybe you lost someone or you've been disappointed in, in, in an outcome and you've been praying for something and it didn't happen and you're just like so ticked off at God and yet walking through church, yeah, everything's great. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Oh, it's all, it's all, what do we, what do we say? What do we say? Oh, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. All good. 
It's fake, isn't it? Something about church that we feel like we have to kind of put this acting job together. Listen, here's the teaching. Here's the teaching from Paul. The church is not a play. It's not. To treat the church as a play is to play at being the church. So love must be sincere without play acting. And that means, guys, we can be honest about what's going on on the inside, about where we really are spiritually. The church then has to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, where somebody can show up in our midst and they can just say, you know what, Uh, in all honesty, my week has been an epic fail. In fact, I'm an epic fail at this thing called my job, at this thing called my marriage, at this thing called my money. I'm failing miserably at parenting. And, 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 And can I have some help? Can someone please pray for me? Can someone please walk me through scripture on how to beat this thing that's just got, it's just deeply inside, it's just yanking me down into the abyss. I'm not sure how I can get myself out of this. And and so there's this idea that the church is supposed to be a place where we can be honest and then the brothers and sisters around us can help us be transformed by the power of God's grace through whatever struggle we have on the inside. So it's okay to not be okay, but when we see people struggling, we want you to take your next step. So we don't want you to just stay stuck and stay in this, this doom loop of your life. We want Jesus to show himself strong and we can see Christ as victor in our lives, through our lives, propelling us forward. That's the vision of community that Paul puts here in front of us. That if a church isn't sincere, like the Romans 12 kind of sincere, it becomes shallow. Where the only thing that gets paid attention to is the externals. Okay, question. Do you want a fake church? Oh, come on now. Do you want a fake church? Really? Because that was totally unconvincing. Yeah? No, you don't want a fake church. I don't want a fake church. Fake church means no power, no authenticity, no sincerity, no Jesus really transforming our lives. But when, 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 when we stop pretending, when we stop being this, this pokritos, and we walk into church, we walk into a community group, and then we bring trusted Christian brothers and sisters into our circle, everything changes. Okay, here's the thing though. This doesn't happen overnight. Relationships like this do not happen overnight. Sometimes the things we have are very sensitive and they're very personal and they necessarily shouldn't be shared at the sort of, hey, let's come down and have you just confess all of your secret sins, right? We're not gonna do that. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about bringing people into your life with these deeper relationships. But here's the key. We have to invest time into developing them. I mean, you have to spend time with people and hopefully not just during the crisis moments of life so that when the crisis moments come, you have the basis of support already built to help you carry your through as your your brothers and as your sisters encourage you and help and pray and walk with you as, as you all walk with Jesus. Okay, so just a second here. What did you think about that? Because I actually thought that was really good. And um, that's kind of what I want. And I just wondered if, okay, we're good. That's what we want. Remember, this is a lot of time. It's a lifestyle. Community is a lifestyle. Community is not a one-time thing. Oh, I went to a thing at church today and I, I have community in my life. Check, done, moving on. No, 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 that's not how it works. All right, 
I've, I've kind of really taught this, I'd say, thoroughly, but let me just throw one more thought at you before I move on. Here's the phrase, magnetic sincerity. Magnetic sincerity is when you get so good at living authentically in Christian community that that spills over into your relationships and circles outside the church. And when people in your other circles experience the kind of realness and genuineness in your life that's just part of you, they're magnetized to it. And that means your community quotient, your CQ, is at a high level because it lovingly draws people into a meeting with Jesus because they see the sincerity of your own heart and they wonder how in the world did you get to be so real when all I see around me is a bunch of fakeness. And that is what can draw people into Christ, into grace. And the reason is because people are starving for this. And so we can be on mission with our sincerity Missional sincerity, magnetic sincerity. Just tuck that away, that thought, that concept. Think about that this week. Okay, all right. Let's look at one other little thing here. And since we started at the beginning, let's just go ahead and, and just kind of sandwich it. We'll look at the very last passage in our text in verse 21. Go ahead and look at your Bibles and it says this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the, that's the ending of this section. And Paul is still talking about building community. And this is therefore an interesting command because what's he talking about? And I love this because Paul is just keeping it real. It's just, he's being sincere. He's real. And here's the thing. Paul is saying this. When it comes to building community, sometimes it's not all, you know, pink unicorns and lipstick and roses and nice things, right? Sometimes when you're building community, it's, it can be tough with people because people are involved. So there's differences of opinion and there's miscommunications and there's pride and there's ego. And so we should not expect community building to go perfectly smoothly all the time. Because why? Because broken people are involved. Well, who are the broken people, Billy, that you're talking about? Thank you, madam. You get a free donut on me. She said, we are. We are the broken people. We means everybody and it means you. And when there's brokenness, there can be disunity. There can be things. There can be obstacles. So Paul is giving us this summary statement about how we can overcome these things. You overcome that stuff with good stuff. All right, let's look at three ways that we can overcome disunity, evil, with good things. Really quick, here they are in the text. Here's where you always start. You start with a blessing. Overcome evil with good, O-E-W-G. Start with a blessing. Now, I don't know many people who do this, and I actually don't do it either, so I'm preaching to myself. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, I have it the opposite. I curse and do not bless, okay? Anybody else? True confession time. Not like, again. So the word blessing here literally means to speak well of someone. And the Greek in this, literally, it, we get, it's where we get the word eulogy, which is the nice stuff you say about somebody who's dead. Now, in this case, we're not wishing someone dies so that we can then kind of fake say something nice about them, so don't get that from the text, but it's just the, the idea that you're saying something nice. So in the heat of conflict, when things are going sideways with people, Paul says, take a step back and bless somebody. Find something good about them and say something nice about them. Ask God to do something good for them. 
Talk to God about their good qualities. Blessings are good things. How do you stop something that's evil, something that's not right in this world? It's not by doing more not right stuff. It's by doing the opposite of not right, which is good. And good things are, are things like blessing. So that's where we start. How about that? Yes, okay, good, very good. Let's do one more. Actually, we're gonna do two more. The second one is, what can we do? Is we can do our part to make peace in the situation. Now, this is based on the part of the passage we read that says, as much as it depends on you, make peace with everyone. So it's impossible to make peace with everyone. So Paul says, well, as much as it depends on you, which is basically saying taking ownership for your part while at the same time affirming that you're not responsible for somebody else's reaction. So God's not asking you to own something that's not yours to own, which is another person's response. He's just asking you to try and do your part and resolve the conflict, to make the peace, to do your part. So here's the big idea on this one. O-E-W-G, don't overown, but don't underown. Do you see what I'm saying here? You don't overown, don't overown something. Don't over-apologize. When you over-apologize in a conflict, that means that the other person's getting left off, they're, they're just off the hook now. And they need to actually own their part. But when you under-own, that means you're not willing to take a step into the, into the fray and make things right. So you just gotta own the right amount. What is the word to not over-own and under-own? I actually couldn't find one. Maybe you can find one. It's just you own the right amount. You own the right amount. All right, that's one thing. The, se- the third one, you're gonna like this one because this is cornerstone. The third one's very simple. It's not rocket surgery at all. It's basic, basic stuff. It's provide food and drink. Paul, as I said, is quoting the Old Testament. The, the verse here is in Proverbs 25, 22 and 23. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You feed him. If he's thirsty, what do you do? Give him something decent to drink, all right? And in doing this, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. All right, this is rather morbid thought. What is, what is he talking about? <laughs> I have a feeling this is more of like, I think something else was going on back then. So there's at least three explanations in the commentaries for what, what this means. But here's the one that made the most sense to me, so I'm going to teach it to you. Back in ancient times, when an enemy was attacking your city walls, one of the most effective ways to stop that attack was to stand on the wall above them and dump a bucket of hot coals on their head. Or you would take a big thing of oil that was hot and maybe on fire and you'd dump it on them. Or you'd light like a straw bale on fire and you would throw it on them. Here's the logic. It's really hard to scale the walls when your face is on fire, all right? Ancient logic. And the point is, hot coals equals the attack stops. So here's what the Bible is teaching us. One of the best ways to stop someone attacking you, we use the same principle. But in this case, the bucket of hot coals is a bucket of chicken and a thirst-quenching drink. Do you see this? A meal offered in kindness stops the attack. Think about what sitting down to a meal can do. When you're not right with someone, just having a meal can actually be a positive sign that things will go better from this point forward. 
So here's again the general principle of OEWG, is you never underestimate the healing power of a good burger and a refreshing beer, I mean beverage. <laughs> it's hard to hate someone that you're having in and out with. Think about it. How many fights have you seen break out at an in and out As the thousands of times I've been there, I've never seen a fight, okay? Well, someone may say then to this, that's kind of naive, Billy. Oh, you're so adorable in your naivete to think that it were that easy to solve all conflicts by just having fast food. Well, okay, but it's actually not saying it will solve all conflicts. Paul's offering a lot of different ways in which we can work through conflict, and so this is just one option. And besides, it's also not saying that it will solve it. It's just simply saying that it can at least stop the attack. It may not get to the root issue, but a ceasefire may be just the starting place that's needed in order to move that relationship forward. So there you have it. Start with a blessing. Don't over-own, don't under-own. Try to make peace, do your part, and then go grab a meal. So Paul is telling us ways that we can address community conflict. And at this last one, let me just talk about this last one a second, because this last one has multiple applications. It's not only a good way to kind of mend the fences, so to speak, but it's also a good way, if you pull it out of that context and you're just beginning the community building process with someone, it's a good place to start there as well. Like, how do you get to know somebody? Well, have a coffee, have a sit down, have a cup of tea, have a, have a meal. It's one of the fastest and best ways to start a relationship. It gives you an excuse to hang. Sharing food oftentimes leads to sharing stories, which can then lead to sharing lives. You know, um, one of the things that I do and, and we do at the Reader household, you guys know I, I'm Swiss, right? So I'm American. I was born in Oregon, but I'm also Swiss. So I have dual citizenship, which means that I'm basically like Jason Bourne. I can travel the world with two passports, and pretend, you know, I just go, oh, here I am, here I am. And, um, and I'm not pretending, actually, it's because it's real. And the CIA, if they were ever after me, I could go hide somewhere and they'd never find me, those suckers. So, but that's just, that's, not, that, that's, that's too far afield. But Swiss people, I've come to find out in my heritage, they love bread. And so my mom is teaching me how to make Swiss bread. And so there's this one that's really tops, it's aces. It's called, it's a Swiss Sunday bread. They have it at Sunday morning breakfast. The Swiss do, it's called Zopf. And then in my village, where my family's from, Meidingen, they call it Zopfli. And Zopfli is basically like meth and crack in <laughs> bread form. And it's braided, it's addicting, it's beautiful. It's this braided and, and when I'm making it, I make the strands of dough and then I have to watch a YouTube video because the braid is really complicated because it's Swiss, you know, and uh, technical. And there, there's a lady there, don't do it wrong, you know, but she sounds like she's mad at you, but she's just speaking Swiss German. She's probably telling you she loves you, but it doesn't sound like it. Anyways, so I'll bake this bread sometimes for the Brentwood campus on, on Saturday and then I'll bring it to Sunday morning service, and then I'll have the, the, the host teams, the, the hospitality teams, cut it up and then put it um, next to the donuts. And then there's butter there, and sometimes there's honey, and basically our church is exploding with growth, more than any other campus. <laughs> and I think I, I think I figured out why. Uh, I hacked the algorithm, uh, algorithm of church growth. But, but it's, it's making friends. 
It's bringing bread. I actually like to make bread for a couple reasons because it reminds me of, of making a sermon. It's very similar. And plus, baking is very technical. You can't do it wrong. Everything's going to be very precise, very exact, very Swiss. Okay? It's like Swiss watches, Swiss bread, Swiss gondolas, Swiss... This is... I love it. Sharing a meal. Starting a relationship. Building community. Our hope is, is that everyone who calls Cornerstone home will be in a smaller community with people that you can genuinely do life with. Um, Next steps. We've been talking about next steps throughout this series, and today we have a couple of practical ones that we can take to get to what I'm talking about, this vision. And when you came in today, I think the host teams gave you a little handout that's kind of nice. It's, it's got colors on it. It says about building community. To explain the handout, I'm gonna bring back our pastor, Debbie Eaton of Community. She's right here. Let's give it up for Debbie. Awesome, awesome pastor, Debbie. And I will say, his bread is really good. That's right, girl. It is so good with tons of butter on it. Of course it is. <laughs> Tell us about um, this potential next steps that we're asking, challenging people to take today. Absolutely. First, I really want to say thank you to anyone who leads a community group or is actually in a community group because you're actually the glue of our church. You're the ones that are out in our community being the church. And so first, I want to say thank you for that. But we have two exciting next steps. Um, And on this card, I'm just going to talk through them with you um, because we want you to experience community this summer in maybe a little different way. I love how Billy talked about being a magnet and being a missional sincerity. And the very first option is a simple step where would you be willing to meet someone or start building a relationship with someone that maybe you've wanted to get to know or they have, your, your paths have crossed, whether it's at the workplace or a park or at school, and you're saying, I need to get to know them because you may actually be the missional magnet to invite them back to church later this year. And what if every person brought one person to church this fall? I, by my math, that means we would double. We would double in size. I love Billy. He's a mathematician. The math so checks out. The math checks yes. out. And so that option one, well, none of us are exempt from that. And we would love for you to just say, yeah, I'll meet with somebody. I'll build a common ground with someone. The second option is we call the simple commitment, and that is maybe there's some folks that are already, you're in community group, you have common ground. Maybe your community group is taking a break and the women or the men or a couple couples would still like to get together over the summer. Well, we would love to give you tools to maybe six weeks this summer get together with those people. And Billy, we have Right Now Media, which is the Netflix. Yes, of Christianity. Yes. Yes. Right now, media. Yes. And everyone that's a part has a a free subscription to it. Yes, exactly. If they don't, we'll give it to them. Yes, and Netflix is cool. We love Netflix, but there's really only two good things on there. Mm -hmm. There's The Office, and then there's Stranger Things, which comes out this week, season three. That's going to be bomb.com, straight up dope, lit, straight up, super lit. My husband. Full send. Yeah, my husband and son will watch Stranger Things. The music's too creepy for me. 
but I love the office. Debbie, one out of two, 50% by my name. I know. Anyways. So on this card, we actually have conversation tips for you. And on the back are just three examples. But if you go on to Right Now Media, we actually have a cornerstone link that will show you all kinds of studies that you can do um, with maybe three to six people this summer. So all you need to do is we have three ways to get connected and take your next step. You can tear off this card, fill it out. All we need is a name, email, phone number, and check one of those boxes. Put it in a basket as you're leaving, or you can visit the Cornerstone website, and it is on the community side, that's up on the screen, or text SUMMER to 925-255-7579, and it will send you all the information you need, and we will be in communication with you. And we would love for you to take a next step. I'm super excited about option one because we want to we reach the East Bay. Girl, we do. So <laughs> let's, let's go out and meet somebody and bring them to church later this year. Yes, awesome. So those are our next steps we yes. can take. What we're going to do right now, we're going to close the message out. So let's have you all stand up. And we said start with a blessing. So that's what we're going to do today. Perfect. We're going to send you off with a blessing today and pray for you. And, um, and let's, just, uh, let's just experience more and more a next step with Jesus in awesome. this area. All right, let's pray. So Father, I thank you so much for your holy word that just provides this roadmap on how we can walk with you and take steps with you. And, and in our case today, we're talking about community. And I pray for those people who are in our midst, the community's tough. Like maybe they've been burned or really hurt by relationships in the church. I'm asking you to bring healing in Jesus' name so that they could actually experience healthy community this time around. We're also praying for those who uh, maybe have been just sitting and soaking on the sidelines a lot and just kind of observing things. I pray that you would help encourage us all to get in there, get in community, Mm -hmm. get in depth of relationship and experience Jesus in a whole new way. Mm -hmm. And Lord, we do pray for all of us a prayer of blessing now upon each of our lives as we take steps with you. Lord, I picture us, each of us is like an arrow in in your quiver and you're you're sending us out with your bow. You're, You're sending us on a path and you're walking with us. You're flying with us, Lord, as we're through the air. And I pray that you would send us far, Lord. Help us to make an impact with our lives and help us to feel close with you every moment, every second of the day. Jesus, we love you. It's your gospel that makes this possible. And I just ask all of this blessing now upon each person in your holy heavenly name, Lord. And everybody said, amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Yeah.